Park Hopping Podcast number 78, Verisimilitude, or something like that. Lots of important things to say. This is not art. Coming up next in our show. This is not media. First, the news. This is not news. Now, welcome back to the show. This is another crappy podcast production. Celebrating over 12 years of posting Disney stuff on the internet. This is another crappy podcast production. Hey, while I have your attention, would you like to win a 2009 model Toyota Yaris liftback that gets an EPA-estimated 36 miles per gallon on the highway? You would? Well, then click on over to toyotaliveweb.com and register to win one. But hurry, contest closes October 15th. Read official rules at toyotaliveweb.com. Hi there, this is Alan from DisneyFans.com, and this is the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 78, the podcast that proves anyone can have their own podcast. Welcome back to the Park Hopping Podcast, originating from Studio B, that's the bedroom, here at the crappy podcast compound in the heartlands of America, Des Moines, Iowa. Previously on the Park Hopping Podcast, I talked a bit about some things I consider to be very important parts of the Disney theme park experience. Things that seemingly may be going away, like all those fancy queue lines that we get to bypass thanks to FastPass. And I'm just saying queue lines to bug the people out there that hate redundancy. Today on the Park Hopping Podcast, while I'm a bit behind putting this episode together due to being out of town over the weekend at a brand new pirate festival in Omaha, Nebraska. So instead of putting together a real show, I wanted to share some more episode feedback. And speaking of feedback, do you guys think I should get a voicemail phone number again? It seems like I have more people writing me today than ever before. So what do you think? Would you call in? Let me know by emailing podcast at DisneyFans.com. And now we'll get started right away with the feedback. First up, Jeff from California provided me with some additional changes I can expect during my upcoming December visit to Disneyland. Just outside of Tomorrowland, to the left where the House of Tomorrow used to stand, sits, or or sat, Triton's Garden. This lush and green Little Mermaid-themed area features, or featured, a statue of the mermaid Ariel as well as her father, King Triton. You could walk through a curving path surrounded by flowery vegetation, and at least until a few years ago, it featured those leaping water fountains that jumped over the walkway, just like those made famous at Epcot's Imagination Pavilion way back in 1982. There was even a Little Mermaid meet-and-greet area connected to it where a large clamshell would rotate under a watery mist to reveal our flippered friend Ariel. And uh, during the 1998 reintroduction of the new New Tomorrowland, this area was actually used as part of the extended outside queue for rocket rides. They, they turned off the water effects for that, thankfully. Our little fish friend has been given the waiting boot, and this area is currently being transformed into a Tinkerbell meet-and-greet. It's a pity they couldn't work out a way to use the old Fantasyland Sky Bucket loading area, which has been rumored to be the future home of the Pixies for many years at both Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom, but so far the only inhabitants at either of those loading areas was a dragon you could see peering out from the Florida Skyway Station during the Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Treat Party theme. So goodbye, King Triton's Garden. I hope I took enough pictures of that area. 
And not only is Tink moving into this new area, but Jeff pointed out that she joined Main Street and now appears in the Mickey floral arrangement in front of the train station, complete with an elaborate array of fiber optics. Cool. It'll be neat to see, at least at night. There's apparently a new Art of Disney theme parks exhibit at the exit of the Main Street Opera House. This is the location formerly used for some concept artwork for the Disney's California Adventure Expansion Project after the original preview center in the Esplanade was closed down. He mentions that this art display was supposedly going to be part of a Disney Gallery exhibit before the Disney Gallery was transformed into the new Disney Dream Suite. Next, it looks like I won't get to step into the wine cellar at California Adventure and watch the Seasons of the Vine movie. The word on Main Street is that this facility may be used for a new DCA preview center to show off concept artwork and models for the upcoming large-scale park-wide renovation project. As an interesting side note, Jeff says that the closing of this attraction makes the second time Jeremy Irons was kicked out of a Disney attraction. At first, I thought perhaps he had been a bit too rowdy from drinking too much wine while in the theater, but then I realized... Not only was Jeremy Irons the narrator of the previous version of Epcot's Spaceship Earth, replaced by James Bond's Judi Dench, but he was also narrator of the Seasons of the Vine film. I guess I never realized the voice of Lion King's Scar was used in so many places at Disney. And back a bit further at DCA, the Sunwill has closed so they can change out the sun on the side of the Sunwill to be a Mickey Mouse face to mirror the image used at the start of the old 1930s Mickey Mouse shorts. Concept artwork for this was released by Disney earlier this year, and it looks neat, but I'll miss the chance of, you know, tricking someone into riding the moving buckets that's never been on them before. This is great fun when traveling with someone who's never seen a Ferris wheel that did that. Frankly, those moving cars scare the heck out of me, too. On a side note, I was watching a uh, 1980s vampire movie called The Lost Boys. Anyone remember that? And it features a California boardwalk carnival. And all I kept thinking was, wow, that looks like California Adventure. So once again, perspective is key. When I first visited DCA opening week in 2001, things like Paradise Pier just looked kind of cheap and tacky to me. Other areas of the park just looked, I don't know, just weird. But after getting up to San Francisco and some other places around the state and seeing some real boardwalks, well, I now understand the look Disney was trying to recreate. I guess the only issue I have is maybe they created too realistic a recreation rather than doing an over-the-top Disneyland fantasy version. But I digress. And lastly, the Golden Dreams Theater will no longer be showing Golden Dreams. That whole San Francisco area of the park will eventually be rebuilt as a Little Mermaid dark ride. And that's a pity. Golden Dreams is a must-see for any out-of-state visitors. I kind of wish it would appear somewhere near the main entrance, similar to how the Opera House at Disneyland used to play the Walt Disney story. At Disneyland, that movie helped explain a bit about the man behind the mouse behind the park, while Golden Dreams helps explain a bit about the culture behind the idea behind that park. Of course, if DCA continues to move away from strict California theming, I, I guess it may not matter as much. So thanks much, Jeff, for giving me more things not to have to look forward to, and oh, for that cool MSN website you sent me with competitive gas pricing for the area. Man, you Californians are paying through the nose for gas, aren't you? Jeff's email got me thinking about some other changes that have happened. Uh, McDonald's has left the building. The French fry wagon is being removed from Frontierland. While I don't mind the food going away, I kind of hope they bring back the wagon somewhere 
You, you see, the Imagineers love to pay tributes to things from the past, and thanks to an article on Yesterland.com, I learned that they figured out how to turn McDonald's french fries into a tribute to an old original 1950s Disneyland attraction. That fry cart featured writing on the top that said, Westward Ho, just like the original Conestoga wagons at Disneyland had on the side of them from August 1955 to September 1959. And now with that fry wagon going away, it looks like Werner at Yesterland.com is going to have to update his Yester page once again. So get over there and check it out. That makes me wonder, when Werner updates a Yester attraction page at Yesterland, does he ever have to put in any hidden tributes to previous versions of the Yester page? Just kind of a thought. And while we're removing McDonald's, the Harbor House or Galley or whatever it's called in New Orleans Square is closed. That's the little drink and food shop next to where the sailing ship Columbia gets stored. And when I started going back to Disneyland in 1995, I, I learned about this little food booth and its excellent Cajun popcorn shrimp. The shrimp became an instant must-have for me on every visit I made to the park, and I was bummed when they closed the shop to transform it into a McDonald's fry location. I mean, I can get fries like that pretty much anywhere, so they certainly didn't scream must-have to me. Now, might we see the return of some harbor-themed food to this location? I mean, the shrimp tied in nicely to the waterfront location, while the Cajun spice connected well to New Orleans uh, right next door. So if you can think of a better-themed food offering for this location, let me know. Podcast at DisneyFans.com. Otherwise, I'm just going to hope they bring back the Cajun popcorn shrimp. I am willing to consider new options for my next must-have food item in the park. Let's see. Rambling along. Uh, the last location to become McDonald's less is the Burger Invasion snack counter at the back corner of Paradise Pier at DCA. It's just down from Mulholland Madness. As the name implies, this place had, like, Big Macs and McBurgers as well as fries and sodas. The menu prices didn't seem that much more than, you know, what you'd expect for a Big Mac combo at a local McDonald's until you realize that the Disney version did not include a drink. Once you added in the drink, you were paying around 7 or $8 for a burger, fries, and Coke that you could get for 4 or $5 locally. But at least the shop looked cool. And do you wonder if the whole name Burger Invasion was some kind of in-joke that the Imagineers snuck into DCA when McDonald's arrived inside the uh, Disney berm? I'm just asking. Uh, Next, uh, Ethan, my number one crappy listener who somehow is still listening after my long hiatus from posting episodes, wrote in with a few comments over the past five episodes. At first, it sounded like he was about to ream me for not, as he puts it, quote, overflowing with praise on the Disney's Magical Express, end quote. But he quickly moved on to sharing some memories from his childhood visits to Walt Disney World. So I'd kind of like to share them with you now. He writes, quote, a few comments about number 77. I was surprised not to hear you overflowing with praise on the Disney's Magical Express. See, I told you he said that. Indeed, it is a marvelous invention of getting parties involved to and from the airport and right to where you were staying. How could this not be a wonderful thing? And then you continued on and it hit me. There are so many things that I am missing using this service that I remember from my childhood. You gave your story, so I might as well give mine. Our family of four would all get into a Volkswagen camper we had, which later was replaced with an 80s conversion van, but that's another story, and headed our way from Virginia to Florida, taking in a few sites like the Florida Welcome Center, mmm, good orange juice, Cape Canaveral, and driving towards the big buildings in Orlando. There, we flew down the open highway with nothing but trees, grass, and power lines running alongside the highway. As we approached the park, we turned off the main highway onto the first Disney Road. 
We knew we had arrived because of that one intersection. The power line pole was not the standard fare, but actually bent into the shape of Mickey's head. I guess that could be termed as one of the first hidden Mickeys the park had, but I can't say for certain. There began the magical drive leaving the real world behind and the radio telling us about what lies ahead. We would stay at Fort Wilderness Lodge, in which we would actually do camping there or rent one of the cabins slash trailers. No longer there, at least not in the way they are now. As you pulled up to the Disney gate, you told the man where you were headed and to, and to follow one of the painted lines on the ground. Red for Fort Wilderness, blue, river country, yellow for contemporary, I think, and green, the Polynesian, also unsure. When we finally got to Fort Wilderness, we could take the train, also decades now gone, but I think one section of track still remains, back to the front of the resort to the back or as close as you could get to your area of stay. From there, there was only one option. Take the boat to the one and only park, the Magic Kingdom. When I take the Magical Express from the airport, they take you on a maze of different roads, but one thing is certain. They don't take you anywhere near what I consider the gateway to WDW. Instead, they seem to get off a toll road somewhere near downtown Disney and sneak you in the back door. It's small stuff, but it's stuff my wife has never seen before or ever will. But with luck, that single power pole is still there. So here I guess I praise you for pointing out what I had forgotten, what I was missing, before it's too late. I barely ever do the fast pass due to the fact that it feels you miss half the attraction if you do on some rides. I'm just now listening to Park Hopping Podcast 77 and your speech about Jack Wagner's famous line. I don't think you need to worry too much about this being something forgotten. My wife and I just recently celebrated her 30th birthday at Cinderella's Royal Table in the Castle. Ooh, congratulations on that and getting reservations. Uh, Just less than a week ago, in the park they have a gray t-shirt with the castle and spaceship Earth in red stencil with the monorail flying past both of them. But... This is almost background to the giant words painted on the shirt. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Somehow I think this little nugget isn't going to be missed by anyone anytime soon. End quote. Wow. Thanks for sharing some of your Disney World memories, Ethan. Uh, now this led to a brief conversation we had back and forth discussing some of this old stuff. Like Ethan pointing out how the Yul Brynner sci-fi robot movie Westworld seemed to be modeled after Walt Disney World of the day, you know, with robots and all that, and guests would arrive in the movie and they'd follow hallways with colored lights to their destination, a different color for different uh, parts of the park, just like following those colored lines on the roads at Disney World. And I guess those lines are pretty much gone, except for the blue line, which leads to, like, medical or handicapped or disabled parking, whatever they're calling it this decade. I also asked him about the train he mentioned at Fort Wilderness. Uh, I didn't know anything about that. Seems seems familiar, but I have never seen it, obviously. And I was able to find a website dedicated to this train. It's www.fortwildernessrr.com. Imagine that. I love the internet. I didn't even have to go to Wikipedia for this. Wait. Actually, that's where I got the link. Never mind. Anyway, it says the train operated only from 1974 to 1979, and it details some of the reasons why it was retired. It's a very interesting read about a little bit of Yester Disney World that I, I never experienced. Eh, but Ethan did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and Ethan passes along an interesting tip. Apparently, he made a virtual shopping list during, a, during his last visit where he took a photo of an item he might like to buy, followed by a photo of the UPC barcode for the item. Then, just by dialing the deliverers, 
D- Disney Deliverer's service. It's easy to order any specific item in the park. I mean, you know about that service, don't you, even though I'm having trouble pronouncing it? Or do you prefer just to pay outrageous eBay prices for items you could just call Disney direct and order? I mean, Disney lists this service on their theme park websites even, where you're, you know, shop for pins and stuff. Uh, it says, contact Disneyland Deliverer's merchandise guest services at... 1-800-362-4533 or you send an email to dlr.delivers at disney.com to place an order. And that's delivers like D-E-L-I-V-E-A-R-S you know, Mickey Mouse ears and all that. Cute. For Walt Disney World they say contact Walt Disney World Merchandise Guest Services at 407-363-6200 or send an email to wdw.mel.order at disneyworld.com to place an order. So if you're ever in the park and there's something you want but you can't get it now eh, go ahead and take a picture of it. Take a picture of that barcode and call a number later and just get it shipped to your home. Pretty cool. Just don't tell the eBay ripoff artist I told you about it. Man, those guys. Well, when the Haunted Mansion Clue board game came out, they were buying them from the parks and selling them on eBay for like $100 more than what they would cost, you know, someone just to dial Disney and place an order direct. I wish I'd thought of that. Oh, well, too late now. You guys all know about it. Let's see, almost done here. Uh, But before moving on, one final thing from Ethan... Here's his absolute must-do for any visit to Disney World. He starts with the first one. To fully experience Disney the Ethan way means that you take a boat to and from the Magic Kingdom. There are no exceptions to this. What do you got against the monorail guy, huh? Uh, Next, if you're going to travel from the Magic Kingdom to Epcot, you may leave using the monorail to the TTC and then take the other monorail to Epcot. Okay, I'm with you. I see the monorail there. Uh, next one. Epcot can only be accessed one way. Taking a bus or some other conveyance to get you to the TTC. From there, it's monorail only into the community of tomorrow. No other conveyance is acceptable, which is fine because they don't exist. For some strange reason, I hear it is possible to catch a bus from there to the studios or Animal Kingdom, and maybe one day I may try and use that. But back to the resorts. Fingers and ears. Nah, nah, nah. I'm not listening. Nah, nah, nah. Okay, good, good, good. Thanks, Ethan. And finally, I'll end this short episode with another comment from Jeff, this time in response to Park Hopping 77. He apparently found my DJ intro quite annoying, and speaking of that intro, uh, someone else whose name I won't mention wrote in to ask me if I was parodying some other Disney podcaster they listened to, but since I had never heard that show, any parodying was unintentional. But if they sound anything like the annoying DJ voice I was trying to do, I, I may have to check it out. Surely no one really talks like that, do they? But I digress. Back to Jeff. First, a correction or at least expansion on the use of my term Disney transportation. He writes, quote, By the way, when you use the term Disney transportation, that technically includes all forms of public transportation on Disney property, not just the bus system. In the early years of the Magic Kingdom, the following verbiage was used. Uh, quote inside this quote. General admission includes transportation, admission, and all free shows and attractions. And inside quote. However, I doubt that day guests of the Vacation Kingdom were ever denied use of the monorails or ferries based on this technicality. Oh, yeah, it didn't... Okay. So, you said that you plan to relive your childhood by traveling to the Magic Kingdom only by monorail or ferry, not by using the smelly buses. Unfortunately, I can't do the same with Disneyland. Yes, I know, there's no ferry, but that's not what I meant. My family always drove to Disneyland from San Diego County, and we would be excited when we spotted the Matterhorn from the freeway. 
Today, approaching from the south, the Tower of Terror and the Malaboomer are much more prominent than the Swiss Mountain. Before the late 1990s, the excitement continued into the parking lot with its view of the pirate show building, Space Mountain, and the monorail, and finally the walk to the main gates and to the Main Street train station. Today, it's difficult to find a parking space in Disney's California Adventure. Actually, with the heightened security, it's probably impossible to drive a car into the Esplanade, but I haven't actually tried this, and I wouldn't recommend it. It's a wise guy, isn't he? By the way, speaking of smelly buses, when I was younger, I always used to associate the smell of diesel with the Disneyland Autopia attraction, but it took me years to figure out why. Much of the track for the Tomorrowland Autopia was built on top of the show building for the Submarine Voyage attraction, which was covered by dirt and landscaping and pylons for monorail and people mover track. The submarines were powered by diesel engines, and there were several vents in the building disguised as rocks along the Autopia track, which gave the miniature freeway an authentic mixture of California smog. How's that for Disney's verisimilitude? End quote. All right, now quit coining new words. This is a podcast that goes out to diehard Disney fan community people. The next thing you know, everyone will be using that word. Anyway, that's pretty cool, Jeff. And and there you go, back to the whole perspective thing. Today, there are generations of kids growing up who will forever associate their drive to Disneyland with spotting the Tower of Terror or the Malaboomer from the interstate, and a generation beyond them that will forever associate the hum of electric motors when the future all-electric Autopia cars are sounding like that. While us old farts think back to the glory days of parking lot asphalt, diesel fumes, and fake mountains built using 1950s technology. But I digress. And speaking of visits, which we aren't, I'm just going to end the show now. They say quit while you're ahead. Apparently I didn't learn that soon enough. So the next time you're there, Disneyland, Disney World, wherever, take an extra picture, shoot some extra video, because you really never know when something you like, love, or hate is going to go away and never be around again. And on that note, I think that'll do it for me this time. So be sure to visit DisneyFans.com, where you can browse around 53,000 digital pictures I've taken at Disneyland, Disney World, and other theme parks across the country, as well as dozens of downloadable video files from the Disney parks. And please, please keep that feedback coming. My email address is podcast at DisneyFans.com. This has been the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 88. Uh, whatever that word that Jeff wrote me again. Thanks for listening. Another Crappy Podcast production. Be sure to visit anothercrappypodcast.com to learn more about this and other equally exciting (sighs) podcasts. Advertise your product or service on this podcast network. You'll receive one exclusive pre-roll placement so the audience doesn't get sick of hearing your message and multiple in-show mentions and post-roll ads. This unique placement reduces listeners from fast-forwarding through your message. Visit anothercrappypodcast.com for details.